For more information about First Baptist Church, visit our website at fbclawschool.org. Open your Bibles, if you will, to Mark chapter 9. Mark chapter 9. We're going to continue the story that we started a couple of weeks ago. If you'll remember the last time we were together, we looked at a man who was at a crossroads. We looked at a man who was at a crossroads between doubt and desperation. He had a problem he couldn't fix. His son was demon-possessed. The demon that was in him was literally killing his body. You had to know that he had exhausted everything he could have done. He went to the disciples, found nine of them, right? Take a look at verses 14 through 19 of Mark chapter 9. That's where we were a couple of weeks ago. Let's just kind of go back and take a look at that. When they came back to the disciples, they saw a large crowd around them and some scribes arguing with him. And immediately... When the entire crowd saw him, they were amazed, him being Jesus. They were amazed and began running up to greet him. And he asked them, what are you discussing with them? And one of the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought you my son, possessed with a spirit which makes him mute. And whenever it seizes him, it slams him to the ground and he foams at the mouth and grinds his teeth and stiffens out. I told your disciples to cast it out and they could not do it. Verse 19 says, and he answered them and said, oh, unbelieving generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I put up with you? Then he said, bring him to me. And that's where, that's where we left it. Jesus had looked at the disciples that were left there that had tried to cast the demon out and said, how much longer am I going to be with you? How much longer do I have to put up with this? Bring him to me. And we discussed how Jesus still says, bring him to me. If you're lost, if you're struggling, if you haven't given Jesus your heart, if you haven't given Jesus everything to you, Jesus continues to call, come to me. Bring him to me. Well, let's take, pick up with verse 20. See what Jesus does with this moment when this father comes and he is at this crossroads between doubt and desperation. Look at verse 20. They brought the boy to him, and when he saw him, immediately the spirit threw him into a convulsion. And falling to the ground, he began rolling around and foaming at the mouth. And he asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. It has often thrown him both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if, if you can do anything, take pity on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible to him who believes. Immediately, the boy's father cried out and said, I do believe. Help my unbelief. When Jesus saw that crowd was rapidly gathering, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, You deaf and mute spirit, I command you, come out of him and do not enter him again. And after crying out and throwing him into a terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, He's dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and raised him and he got up. When he came into the house, his disciples began questioning him privately. Why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. Now, I don't believe in pat answers to serious problems. And I also don't believe in formulas for faith. The reason Jesus didn't heal people the same way every time is because he would have taken his one, people would have taken his one method and they would have formed an entire theology around it. 
One old preacher once said we would have the one spit crowd, the go dip crowd, and the touch the hymn crowd. Jesus never healed anybody the same way. People who live their lives by formulas instead of by faith are often in error, but they're rarely in doubt. Could it be, just possibly, that the nine disciples weren't able to cast this demon out because they had tried to use a, a, a tried and true formula that they had done before that they had seen Jesus do without seeking a fresh power from the Father? Could it be they just said, well, the last time I cast out a demon, I did this. I can't imagine beginning to have a discussion on what's wrong with that sentence. There's an awful lot of eyes in that sentence. Maybe they weren't leaning on the Lord to do what only God can do. Maybe that's the lesson they had. Suffering, whether it's suffering like this young man was going through, suffering like we going through our, in our daily lives, suffering is a reality. Every one of us are going to suffer at some point. Every one of us are going to, to, uh, to fall. Every one of us are going to, to hurt. Every one of us are going to experience discouragement, anxiety. God tells us it's going to be that way. It won't end in this lifetime. It's not the lack of suffering. It's knowing what to do with your suffering that's key in life. It's not, experience, it's not not experiencing suffering because that's not going to happen. It's knowing what to do when the suffering comes. When we have exhausted everything we can do. And we look to the Lord and say, I believe. Help my unbelief. This man brought his son to Jesus, which was a good decision. Good decision that he had made. Jesus called his father to stand up and believe. You see, doubt has a way of, of grabbing our throats and choking us. None of us is immune to doubt. None of us. All of us go through times in life where we just are overwhelmed by the circumstances that are going on around us. And if we allow it, and we do, we'll, we'll say, I don't know how, I don't know how even the Lord can handle this. A lot of us will do that. None of us are immune to it. Let's just think about it, if you will, and be honest. A couple of questions. Do you believe that God can do anything? Do you believe that He can do anything? Do you believe that God will do what He says He will do in His Word? We read it. As Christians, we say we believe it. But when it's on the line, when everything is on the line, do we believe that, that Jesus, that God will do what He says He will do in His Word? And I think if we're honest, a lot of times we believe, but we need help with our unbelief, don't we? We need help with our unbelief. We have a hard time believing the words to the old hymn, what He's done for others, He'll do for you. This man stands before Jesus and he hears the Son of God challenge him to believe. 
Now, Jesus didn't tell him to, to wish it into existence. He didn't tell him to hope that he could get to a place where all his dreams could come true. He called this man to belief. Belief. Belief is what we do in the face of worldly evidence to the contrary. Belief is what we do when those around us who don't have Jesus as their Savior will say, that doesn't make sense. Belief is the exercise of faith in our life. Man's response seems kind of a little uncertain, I think, and, and kind of skeptical. He wasn't sure that he could step out that far. He, said, he asked Jesus, he says, if you can do anything, Right? That's what he says. If you can do this, if you can do anything, that kind of sounds like, I'm not totally sure. I came here believing that there was a possibility, but was it just wishful thinking? Had I just gotten so desperate that I would believe anything, that I would, that I would try anything? And the lack of ability that I saw in your disciples kind of threw me for a loop. I, I thought they would, could do it, I, but then when they couldn't do it, I started to wonder whether anybody could do it. He says, if you can do this. Have you ever let your failures, or even your perceived failures of other, I mean, the perceived failures of other Christians weaken your faith? Have you looked at others who have fallen? Have you looked at others who you, who you may or may not consider uh, as closer to the Lord than you are, as a greater spiritual warrior than you are, and you've seen the circumstances they go through? Have you allowed that to creep into your faith and create doubt? Have you allowed it to give you moments of weakness? You know, there are people that you know are just awesome prayer warriors. It seems like when they pray, the gates of heaven just open up. Right? You know those people. They're the people that you want to pray for you when something's, got, when something's going down, right? You ever seen them go through some times where they pray and they pray, and it doesn't seem to get the result that they're looking for, and you start to, you start to say, well, gosh... The Lord's not going to help them. How can he help me? You ever allowed that to happen? Jesus asked him what his problem was. Not because Jesus needed this vital information to diagnose what was wrong with this boy. He knew what was wrong when he got there. He asked him because the father needed to verbalize. The father needed to communicate the depth of his desperation. You know, when we confess to the Lord our sins, when we confess to the Lord those areas where we have fallen, where we need His strength, where we need Him to pick us up, we don't confess those to the Lord because He doesn't know it without us telling Him. We confess those things because it's important that we verbalize it so we come to terms with our situation. We come to terms with our condition. When we hear it, when, it, when we understand it, Teachers, sometimes we want the kids to repeat things to us so we know that they understand, right? We know that they've heard it and they understand. Well, sometimes that's the way it is when we, when we pray to the Lord. We, the, the verbalization, the talking to God is not for God's benefit, it's for ours. Because how else would we know the depth of where we are? But when it comes out of our mouth into our minds and, and, and hopefully into our minds and through our minds out our mouth, then we can finally get a good picture of it. This father's statement, when he told Jesus what was wrong with his son, was his final declaration of desperation. 
he knew at that moment that there was nothing that could be done for his son outside a touching from Jesus Christ. His hope was slipping away. But you know what? At least he was honest. At least he was honest about it. Too often, our response shakes with doubt. But we try to cover it up with, with high-sounding spiritual language, keeping it from sounding unspiritual. We don't want to sound unspiritual in front of God, who knows us inside and out. We don't want to, stand, we don't want to appear unspiritual before the Lord. We don't want to appear unspiritual before other people. And so we disguise our doubt with high-toned spiritual words. But honesty brought this person, honesty brought this man into a position where Jesus could stretch his faith. Jesus stretched his faith that day. Look again at the Father's initial response. He says, if you can do anything. And Jesus kind of gave him a reprimand, right? He kind of he got on to him. He kind of scolded him. He said, what do you mean by saying, if I can? You came to me, didn't you? What do you mean by saying, if I can? I'm not sure the issue here, Jesus says, I can do anything. Ball's in your court. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Everything is possible for the one who believes. Pastor and theologian A.E.G. Rawlinson reminds us that those who have faith will set no limits to the power of God. This passage is often taken out of context by television preachers and by faith healers and others who simply, ask that, who simply say, tell you that you can get whatever you want by simply daring to ask for it. Merely, merely by forming the words with your mouth, you can get anything you want. But let me tell you something. It is not biblical to dictate your demands to the living God. I believe God can do anything. But I don't believe God has to do whatever I want Him to do. I've prayed for people to be healed. Some have. Some haven't. I've watched godly, faithful prayer warriors suffer greatly. Surely, surely, they of all people could find deliverance and relief from their suffering. Certainly, their problem wasn't a lack of faith. This much I do know, if your faith means that you can figure God's ways out, then your faith is greater than anybody's in the Bible. If you believe you can figure out God's ways, then the faith you have is greater than anyone you've ever read about in the Scriptures. His ways are not our ways. This doesn't mean that we should sit quietly, resigned and defeated to whatever's going to happen. Doesn't mean that's going to happen. Doesn't mean we should do that. We should bring our concerns. We should bring our fears. We should bring our anxieties and our cares to the one who can change our circumstances according to his will, confident that Jesus will respond. That's the thing. It's not, at getting, your, it's not getting your prayer answered. We know that God tells us in his word that he's going to answer the prayers of his children. What it does mean is that we should resign, if we're going to resign ourselves to anything, it's to the fact that God's will is always going to be best for us. And so when God answers our prayers in His time, in His way, that is going to be ultimately for our greater good and for our benefit because that's His promise. And He has kept every promise He has ever made. So it's not getting what we want. 
It's getting what God wants for us. The question is not, what can Jesus do? The question is, am I willing to trust him? Am I willing to trust him to do what only he can do? Whatever that looks like, whatever that solution looks like, am I willing to trust him to do that? When he says all things are possible to the one who believes, he's not giving us a blank check to write to ask whatever we want whenever we want it. The creator is the one who sustains. And the one who sustains also delivers. The greatest deliverance is from the grasp, is from the power of sin, is from Satan, and any other deliverance is secondary to his redemption of us. He came in to seek and to save the lost. Any deliverance or redemption or whatever it is, any deliverance from whatever we've got going on is always secondary to his saving of us. The ultimate redemption. Times of desperation. This father's statement may best summarize what's going on in our souls. I do believe. Help me with my unbelief. Listen to what he said. He didn't say, Lord, you need to help me believe. He said to Jesus, help my unbelief. Help my unbelief. The battle often rages when we're called on to trust the Lord in a new dimension of faith. That's what we call it being stretched. But what it, what it boils down to is trusting, Lord, trusting the Lord in a whole new dimension of faith. When God opens up a whole new area in our lives that we, that we can grasp the concept, the reality of faith in a whole new way, on a whole new level. That's what this guy was asking for. The Word made flesh called out for faith in this man. The Father admitted his doubt. He pleaded in desperation for God to help him get beyond his doubts and fears. Jesus then turned to the Son and dealt with the issue at hand. Pastor Ron Dunn, preaching on this passage, said, Jesus performed the miracle that would help the man's unbelief. He took the situation in hand. There are times when the Lord rebukes the poverty of faith by the abundance of His grace. Let me just go back to that last sentence. I just love it. There are times when the Lord rebukes the poverty of faith by the abundance of His grace. After Jesus challenged the man's faith, after Jesus healed the boy, it looked like all things were moving from bad to worse, though. If you look, right? It's, look at verse 26. After crying out loud and throwing himself into terrible convulsions, it came out. And the boy became so much like a corpse that most of them said, he is dead. It appeared at that moment to the people around them that the demons might win the day, finally. They might finally have done enough to take the life of this young man. Not a chance. Not a chance. Look at verse 27. But Jesus, taking him by the hand, raised him, and he stood up. It was their one last effort. 
to control this, this little fellow. But Satan is a defeated enemy. He is defeated already. Jesus hadn't called the man out to embarrass him or to watch him walk away with more frustration. No, he called him out so the glory and the power of God might be revealed. That's why he did what he did. He did everything he did that day to the glory and the power of God. The cynical scribes, the crowd that taunted the disciples, even the disciples themselves who were clearly disillusioned about their inability to help, would have no doubts whatsoever about the power of Christ and the defeated, the inferior forces of the world. This was a moment of supreme triumph. Jesus proved in clear, convincing terms that nothing this world could hurl at him would be sufficient to beat him. Everything changed. This man's son was made whole. He was set free from a life of misery and suffering. The father walked home with a brand new son that day. Just think about that for a minute. This little boy had been tormented by this since he was very small. The dad walked home with a brand new child that day. The father himself left changed. But don't we all, when we leave an encounter with Jesus, don't we always leave changed? Jesus had gotten through to him. And this dad got the message loud and clear. Desperation brought this man to Jesus. Desperation brought him to Jesus. But he left with joy. He left with deliverance. He left with victory. When this man and his son left, the disciples, who were probably pretty embarrassed, I would think, that they weren't able to do what they wanted to do, they came to Jesus confused. They came to him with their questions. Verses 28 and 29 says, When he came to the house, his disciples began questioning him privately, why, why could we not drive it out? And he said to them, This kind cannot come out by anything but prayer. There are instances in our lives that cannot be fixed by Tylenol, that cannot be fixed by a Band-Aid. In those times, we have to learn that God has in some way limited Himself on His own initiative to drive us to prayer. To drive us to prayer. Anything that makes us pray is always a blessing. Any prayer that casts itself in desperation on the all-sufficient Savior is always a good thing. It is a recognition of who we are and who we love and serve and worship. And our understanding of that, our deeper, our greater, our richer, our more intimate, our more beautiful understanding of that is always, always a good thing for us. Because it keeps our humility front and center. It keeps our arrogance in check, right, when we understand who Jesus is and who we are. 
Have you ever experienced being driven to prayer in desperation? I mean, I'm not talking about where you have a little anxiety and you pray and you say, you know, cast all your cares on the Lord because He cares for you and He does and He tells us to. But I'm talking about real desperation. You ever thrown yourself at the foot of the cross? You ever said, I can't do this. And then God looks at you and says, you never, were never intended to. You ever called on God to help your unbelief? That's what, that's what stories like this, accounts like this, tell us. My Bible begins this passage by saying all things possible. All things are possible to him who believes. Why? Because we believe on and in the person to whom all things are possible. There's nothing Jesus can't do for you. Just go back to the hymn, what he's done for others, he'll do for you. And we're called to pray. This week in The Witness, I wrote a little article about prayer. Calling the church to pray for seven specific things. And pray with fervency. Pray with energy. Pray with desperation about those things. Ask God to do what only He can do in our lives, in the life of this church, in the life of His kingdom. What only He can do. And He'll choose to do it through us. That's been His, that's been his motivation, right? He chooses to work through us, broken vessels that we are, imperfect that we are, why? Because when He accomplishes what only He can do, there's no way we can claim the credit for it. We give the credit where the credit is due. Glory be to God. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's nothing about us in there, right? When our desperation is translated to a plea to help our unbelief, that's when Jesus steps into our situation and stretches us further than we ever thought we could go. That's when He does what only He can do. And that's when we look to Him. And we say, glory be to God. Glory be to God in the midst of my trials. Glory be to God on my mountaintops. Glory be to God in my valleys. Glory be to God before I get out of bed in the morning. Glory be to God before I close my eyes to sleep at night. Whatever it is, glory be to God. What a beautiful lesson in the power of Jesus in our lives. By taking one man's desperation 
by relating it to ourselves, and by learning the beauty and the power and the glory of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Is He your Savior today? Have you given your, your heart and your soul and your mind, have you given Him everything? Have you come to that point where you get on your knees before the cross of Christ and you say, there are things that have kept me from God. I know that now. I see that now. There are things that have kept me from experiencing Him. There are things that have kept me from the blessings that God has for me. And, and it's, it's my sin that has veiled all of that. And I understand that now. And I give that to you. Jesus, I give that to you. God, forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me. Make me whole. I want to have a relationship with you. I want to begin to be able to love other people the way you love me. I want to be a light in a world that is dark. I want to walk into a place and I want to just dispel the darkness. Not because of anything that I do, but because of who I radiate. I reflect the glory of God. I reflect His light. I want to do that. Have you done that? Because what Jesus said last week or two weeks ago is still, is still applicable today. Bring him to me. Come to me today, he says. Come to me. And I will do those things. That is my promise. You have my word. I will do those things. Have you done that today? Now is the time. We're not, you know, we talked about Wednesday in Hebrews, our study of Hebrews, that the urgency that this guy wrote with, or whoever it was that wrote the book of Hebrews, we really don't know. But the urgency which, which, with which it was written, because they understood that tomorrow is not ours. Tomorrow is a gift from the Lord, right? So our witnessing, our relationship with the Lord is urgent. It's urgent. Have you given yourself to the Lord today? Do it today. Don't wait. Give yourself to Him today. Let Him do what only He can do in your life today. Let Him help your unbelief today. Father, I just thank You for loving us. Lord, I thank You for Your Word. God, I just thank You for how it, it just opens itself every time we open the pages of, 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 our, of our Bible. Lord, you, you're, you leap off the page at us, to us. You teach us. You, you convict us. You mold us. Lord, the, the Holy Spirit working through Your Word teaches us so many things. Lord, I, I just pray that when our moment of desperation comes, when we're confronted with our unbelief, Lord, you'll give us the strength to call out to you, to say, I do believe, help my unbelief. Lord, I believe you can do anything that you want to do. may not be what I want you to do, but you can do anything. That's who I'm leaving. That's who I'm trusting. That's who I'm putting my faith in. That's who I'm leaving my problems with, the one who will never be defeated, the one who is ultimately victorious, the one to whom sin and death and hell have already been defeated, and he gives that to us. Lord, I give myself to you today I give everything to you 
In Jesus' name.